Are you working too hard for the Lord? I know that sounds like an odd question to ask, but it is possible that our work for the Lord might actually be an insult to him. John Piper, in his book Desiring God, writes, God is not looking for people who will work for him so much as he is looking for people who will let him work for them. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. On the contrary, the gospel commands us to hang up and hang out a help-wanted sign. This is the basic meaning of prayer. The essence of true prayer is dependence on God, hanging out a help-wanted sign to God. When our lives become all about what we can do for God instead of what God can do for us, then we rob God of his glory. Prayer to God should end with praise for God because praise reminds us that our prayer requests honor God. We praise God the best when we ask the most. We come now in our study of the Lord's Prayer to the benediction. Jesus teaches us how to pray by showing us the importance of praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are sealing the letter that we will mail to our Father in heaven. These words are a seal of praise. We humbly acknowledge his majesty, his glory, his power, and his authority as we close our prayer with praise. The heart of prayer is praise. Prayer teaches us that we do not work harder and harder for him, but we ask him to work for us. In this way, he gets the glory for whatever happens as we serve him. Our service itself becomes an act of praise to God. Now, before we look at the text of Matthew 6.13, we must address the textual problem which we face here. These closing words are not found in Luke's account, and are not found in any of the oldest manuscripts which we have available today. The earliest evidence we have for this phrase comes from the Didache, which was composed early in the second century. So it is almost certain that this seal of praise was not part of the original prayer recorded in Matthew. However, it is equally certain that this is a fitting conclusion to the model prayer that Jesus taught, and highly likely that the seal is consistent with Jesus' teaching on how to pray. This is a model prayer, after all, and prayers have to have a closing. Jesus certainly did not close his model prayer with, Deliver us from the evil one. That would have been a highly abnormal way to end a prayer. I say that because of what we know about prayer in the Jewish culture. It was the custom within Judaism that a formal prayer would be left open-ended so that the individual who was praying was free to add his own personal seal to the prayer. 
This seal would be a single sentence of praise, which the one praying would freely formulate in his own words to close the prayer. And then all the congregation would say, Amen. So Jesus most likely taught his disciples at this point to add a seal of praise to the prayer in their own words each time they prayed. He likely modeled that seal of praise many times himself as they heard him pray. So they probably heard these words closing other prayers that Jesus prayed. It reflects accurately what Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. As time went on, this particular seal, which we have here, was attached to the text because it is a fitting conclusion to this model prayer. The point is that our prayers should be regularly sealed with praise as we humbly acknowledge His glory in all we do and say. Prayer is praise. This is the heart of prayer. And there are three parts or three elements to this seal of praise which teach us the kinds of praise we can offer to God. These elements mirror the requests earlier in the prayer. We ask God for daily bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. Daily bread, forgiveness, and deliverance. We ask God for these things because we can praise God for his kingdom, power, and glory. Otherwise, why ask him for anything at all? First, we say, The kingdom is yours, you have the right to rule. The kingdom is yours, you have the right to rule. We close our prayers with a seal of praise, and as the first element in that seal of praise, we say, Yours is the kingdom. The Lord's model prayer for his disciples teaches us to live with a basic tension in life. It is the tension between knowing God is king right now, yet knowing that we still are waiting for his kingdom to be consummated in the future. It is the tension between the now and the not yet. We live with this tension between your kingdom come in verse 10 and yours is the kingdom in verse 13. Every Christian lives every day with that tension. We know that Jesus is the sovereign ruler and that nothing happens in this world without his permission. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103.19, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Yet we also know what the prophet Daniel wrote 500 years before Christ. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. We live in the now and the not yet. Daniel predicted a future kingdom which Christ came to initiate at his first coming and will inaugurate at his second coming. He will rule upon the throne of David, and all the nations of the world will bow before his authority. 
That day is coming, my friends, and all our prayers should be infected with that note of hope. We long for that day, but but for now, we know we are at war. We know that he wins in the end, but we long to see that victory in our world today. The Jews have a prayer, which is still prayed in the Jewish synagogues today. It is called the Kaddish, and the first verse goes like this, Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world which he had created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel, even speedily and at a near time, and say you, Amen. This is our hope in Christ as we look out at a world at war. We can pray that prayer for we know the King. Yours is the kingdom, Lord. But I should sure like to see it now. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The kingdom is our future hope, but our present reality is war. So prayer is like a sat phone in the middle of war. We can call out for help, knowing that our king is all-powerful, but we are at war and need his help. Satellite phones became common during the Iraq War in 2003 by both the military and the journalists who covered the war. However, the U.S. Central Command had to ban the use of a popular sat phone by journalists because it became a security risk. The geographical positioning system, the GPS on the phone, could locate the user's position within 100 yards. So journalists were banned from using the sat phones because they compromised the soldiers who were the ones actually fighting the war. I think one of our weaknesses in prayer is because we have taken wartime sat phones and used them for civilian purposes. We are not all on active duty in this battle, and so we misuse prayer for our wants instead of his goals. So first, we pray, The kingdom is yours, Lord. You have the right to rule. Second, we pray, The power is yours. You have the might to provide our needs. The power is yours. You have the might to provide our needs. It's not enough to claim the right to rule if he does not have the might to rule. Many people have claimed the right to rule and have tried to claim that right by their might. However, every dictator, every would-be world leader has ultimately failed when they came up against Jesus Christ. Adolf Hitler often carried a whip to show the people that in driving out the Jews I remind myself of Jesus in the temple. He boasted that his victory would be the beginning of a new age for the world. He said, what Christ began, I will complete. In a speech just days after becoming Chancellor of Germany, he used the Lord's Prayer to say that under him a new kingdom would come to earth and that his would be the power and the glory. Amen. 
And then Hitler added in his speech, if he did not fulfill his mission, he said, you should crucify me. Many leaders down through history have claimed absolute power and tried to crush Christianity. But Christ is the rock which crushes the Hitlers of this world. Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When we pray, Yours is the power, we confess by faith that no matter how dark the situation seems, He has the power to win. Pastor Wilhelm Busch, an evangelist who lived through the Nazi reign of terror, was arrested by the Gestapo because he held evangelistic meetings in the city of Darmstadt. He was grabbed and shoved into a waiting police car. The order was given to start the car, but the motor of the car would not start. Get going, the officer shouted. Still wouldn't start. Then, in the midst of a crowd, a young man standing on the steps of the church began to sing with a loud voice. Rejoice the Savior reigns, the God of truth and love. When he had purged our stain, he took his seat above. Lift up your heart, lift up your voice. Rejoice again, I say, rejoice. The young man quickly disappeared. And the car started. Turning to the Gestapo officer, the pastor remarked, my poor friend, I am on the victor's side. The officer was startled and whispered to Pastor Bush, A long time ago I used to be a member of the YMCA. Well, Pastor Bush replied, and now you are arresting Christians. Poor man, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. Yours is the kingdom, Lord. Yours is the power, Lord. My friends, if he has the power to crush Hitler when he raises his fist against Christ, then he has the might to meet our needs today. You say, well, Dave, that's nice. You preachers tell a lot of stories that sound good. But what about my problems? Preacher stories might make me feel better for a minute, but they don't solve my problems. In the comic strip Beetle Bailey, Beetle is mopping the floor and banged his elbow on the door. Ow! he yelled. Nothing ever goes right for me. Sarge is sitting at his desk and says, Sit down, Beetle, I'll tell you a little story. There was this guy who had a little farm. His wife left him and took the kids and all his money. A tornado came and blew his house away, ruined his crops, and in the excitement, his dog bit him. He looked up in despair and said, Lord, why are you doing this to me? And the Lord said, Your complaint has to go through channels. Beetle is staring at Sarge, waiting for more. When there's no more to the story, Beetle explodes. That's supposed to make me feel better? To which Sarge replies, Feel better? I just said I had a story. I think this is often the way we feel when we hear stories about prayer. We think, 
Well, that's nice for you, but my prayers must have gotten lost in the channel somewhere. <laughs> they got overwhelmed by the red tape. And so we work harder and harder and pray less and less and feel worse and worse. A lack of prayer proves that we don't really know the Lord. Our usual response to problems is to work harder to solve them ourselves. We only take them to the Lord as a last resort when we can't fix them ourselves. It's like me trying to dig a ditch for the water line with a tablespoon, while the man with the dynamite and the heavy equipment sits by the road and waits for me to ask him to dig. Get out of the way and ask God to go to work. That's how you honor God the most. You honor God by asking him to work for you. When we pray, we are saying, Lord, you have the might to meet my needs. But then we wonder sometimes why those needs are not met according to our timetable. <laughs> There's the key, of course, according to our timetable. We have to understand, my friends, that the power of Christ is unleashed according to his timetable and according to his principles. God works for those who wait. There's a powerful verse in the book of Isaiah regarding prayer and the power of God. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 64, 4, for from the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him, who waits for him. God unleashes his power to those who are willing to wait. Abraham and Sarah are the classic illustrations of this principle. Rather than wait for God, you know the story, rather than wait for God to provide the baby he had promised, they manufactured a solution using Hagar, the servant girl. Rather than wait, they worked. They created, however, instead, the war and hostility we all observe between Israelites and the Arabs 4,000 years later because they didn't wait for God's solution. Waiting on God is always better than manufacturing your own solutions. Why? Because God works for the sake of his name. In Psalm 106, the psalmist is praising God for how he delivered the people of Israel out of Egypt and miraculously parted the waters of the Red Sea in the nick of time. And then the psalmist writes in verse 8, He saved them for the sake of his name. He saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Why didn't God part the Red Sea before the Egyptian army was about to wipe them off the face of the earth? Why did he wait? Because it wouldn't bring him as much glory. God did it for the sake of his name. And that's the same way that God answers prayers today. God answers prayers not for our sake, but for his. God works for those who surrender their wills to his will. In 2 Corinthians 16, 
Hanani the prophet warns Asa the king that by choosing to rely on political alliances and powerful armies instead of God, he will end up reaping nothing but war. He says in Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Instead, from now on, you will surely have wars. Christians become fools when we place our faith in politics, when we place our faith in government or a political leader or military might instead of putting our faith in God. John Piper writes in the book Desiring God, The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you in his service unless you are healthy, and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. Christianity is fundamentally convalescence. Pray without ceasing equals keep buzzing the nurse. Therefore, our very lives hang on not working for God. Workers earn their wages, and God will not give up the joy of being the giver to be the employer. Here is at least a partial answer to the problem of unanswered prayer. It is either not God's time and we need to wait, or the answer does not demonstrate the power of his name as much as God wants, or God desires to mold our hearts to his will through these experiences. The bottom line is, God wants us to surrender to him so that he can be the giver of gifts and not the payer of wages. So when we pray, we are saying the kingdom is yours, the power is yours, and thirdly, The glory is yours. You have the right to receive our worship. The glory is yours. You have the right to receive our worship. The Lord will never surrender his glory to anyone. Everything that he does is designed to bring glory to himself. And anyone who touches that glory will be crushed under the weight of it. A giant photo of Adolf Hitler was displayed at the Nuremberg rallies with the caption, In the beginning was the word. The Lord's Prayer was changed by some of his followers to to read, Our father Adolf, who art in Nuremberg, hallowed be thy name, the Third Reich come, and on it went ad nauseum. Is it any wonder that Hitler was destroyed in the end? Prayer glorifies God, or it is not prayer. Prayer never influences God to do what we want him to do in the sense of changing his plans to fulfill our purposes, our agendas. When we appear to influence God in prayer, it is because he has already moved us to pray that prayer to accomplish his purpose, which he already intended to accomplish. God always acts in accord with his own purposes and his own character. He does as he pleases.
The psalmist wrote in Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. You say, well, then why ask God for anything? And even more puzzling, why does he ever answer our prayers? My friends, God answers our prayers because it gives him glory to give us what we ask. Johnny Erickson Tata is a quadriplegic. Most of you know her remarkable story. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down in a diving accident when she was 17 years old. I met her at a conference a few years ago where she was speaking. God has used Johnny Erickson Tata to change lives all over this world through her books, her speaking engagements, and her global ministry to people with disabilities. Johnny married Ken Tata in 1982, and he has cared for her all these years. She tells their story in the book, Johnny and Ken, An Untold Love Story. It's an excellent book, and I highly recommend it. Johnny is very honest and transparent about what it takes to get her ready for her day, and how Ken has to help her do everything, even the most basic things in life he has to help her, like getting out of bed. Now here's my question to you. How can Johnny honor Ken the most? Does she honor Ken by refusing his help and trying to do it all on her own? Well, no, of course not. She honors Ken by asking him to help her sit up, or help her get out of bed, or help her move so she can breathe, or turn over so she can avoid bed sores. She honors Ken by calling out to him when she needs him to get her in a wheelchair or to get dressed. She honors him by asking him. My friends, you glorify the giver by needing the giver. You honor the giver by asking for help. This is the essence of prayer. We honor God the most when we ask him to help us. We glorify God the most when we depend on him to meet our needs. He answers our prayers because it brings him glory to answer our prayers. Now listen carefully, because everything that I have said in this podcast can be boiled down to this one point. We praise God the best when we ask God the most. We praise God the best when we ask God the most. We could put it another way. We insult God the most when we try to do it ourselves. We deprive God of his glory when we manufacture our solutions. So, I ask you again, are you working too hard for the Lord? <laughs>